directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Thought for the day. Hope is the first step on the road to disappointment. Hello, Phil Johnson. Welcome to episode 71 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems that have been created by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, each episode we cover a different system, and tonight we'll be talking about Dark Heresy again. But, uh, well, more particularly we'll be talking about Gen Con, because uh, this is our first show after Gen Con 2016. Uh, but actually, before we get into our, our show, uh, gaming in the last fortnight, I think actually... There has been no gaming the last fortnight. No. No, because I've had travel. Uh, you've no, had a lot of work. Okay, so we can just get straight into what's actually happening in the show tonight. There's no gaming to speak about. But we, we are trying to organise our next Roll20 game. Yep. And now that things have calmed down, we should organise to do Road Trader again shortly as well. Yes. So and I've also been planning a new campaign to replace our uh, Black Crusade group. It's not, not a 40k campaign. Yeah, I think two current campaigns is enough, but... Uh, I'm going back to uh, Old World of Darkness Vampire from White Wolf, yep. uh, Dark Ages specifically. So that'll be something coming. We'll be speaking about in coming months. Yes, yes, hopefully it goes well. Exactly. Uh, okay, but tonight's episode, we'll do our regular news section. Uh, then we're going to talk about what happened or didn't at uh, Gen Con 2016. Uh, then for our role discussion for Dark Heresy, we'll be talking about the Penitent. Uh, then we'll do our plot hooks and war gear. Uh, for tonight's review, I'm going to tell you about what I've been spending my whole weekend playing, which is uh, Eisenhorn Xenos. Yes. Uh, and then finally, I want to have a quick chat about linguistics in 40k. Sort of a half rules, half house rules. Yeah, yeah, that's um, quite a bit of house rules. <laughs> exactly one. right, yeah. Especially in the, in the new Dark Heresy, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we'll do our community section and, and finish off the show. Okay. So, a bit of a short intro, but uh, anyway, let's get straight into our show, shall we? Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. Okay, so for the news, uh, now, I think for the first time ever on this show, there is literally no 40k news from FFG. Like in the last, I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. The closest there is, is at Gen Con, there was a uh, announcement made of products now available for sale, you know, that, that appeared on the Gen Con uh, show floor, which included uh, the most recent war pack for Conquest. Yeah. But there's been no other announcements specific to 40k uh, from FFG. So what that means right now is that from FFG, still outstanding for the 40k lines, we've got three war packs for Conquest. So that's Searching for Truth, Against the Great Enemy, and the Warp Unleashed. Yeah. And, and that's it for sort of announced content. So uh, let's not go too much into that right now, because that'll sort of move over to our next section of the show, but that's just, yeah, we're out with current announcements from FFG. That being said, a lot of stuff from Games Workshop. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. In terms of the sort of day-to-day stuff, um, a lot of new Death Watch figures released along to go along with the Codex, uh, and the new Death Mask game. So this is it's interesting they've done this because Death Mask is portrayed as either you know a standalone game or a get into 40k style. I mean, I, I guess this isn't too different from things like Battle at McCrag or. 
Yeah. Um, that's those sort of box sets and such. But it's pretty much two armies, in this case, Death Watch and Eldar. Um, you know, the basic, you know, the pocket-sized rulebook. Uh, and some specific scenarios. So yeah, it, it seems to be the way they're going with quite a few things is that what they'll do is they'll release a game with a basic set of rules which aren't 40k, yeah. but you can use the models in 40k. That's and it. it's sort of aimed at those people as well. And, and that's it. You've got the scenario. So it is the 40k rules, but you've got the scenarios here that basically give you specifically here is a storyline associated with the Death Mask game yeah. that you can play through and you can use these figures. Now, this is a box set that I'm actually really thinking about buying. I haven't bought one since Assault on Blackreach. Yeah. Uh, and when I, even when I did that, I think I gave all the... Um, I think it was Orc figures in Assault on Blackreach? Or, no, Tyranids. Yeah. I gave all the Tyranids to you, for example. Yeah. Um, but like for this one, I, I'd actually like to keep both the... I like the, the Death Watch figures, because it includes like a very nice Captain, uh, a nice Death Watch Dreadnought, for example, as well. Yeah. And I'd like to keep all the, the Dark Eldar, sorry, regular Eldar, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really tempted by this box set. And I also noticed that on the Australian website, they've got a package deal right now, which is um, Death Mask and the Codex and the, um, what was it, the Death Watch game they did recently? The, uh, um, Overkill. Overkill, yeah. All was one thing, I think, for about 400 bucks. Yeah. Um, so a lot of Death Watch figures there, some Tyranids, some Eldar. You know, it's a really good. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not a bad bundle. Right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so um, so that's what's actually been released. You know, in the last sort of month or in the in the coming month. But yeah. there's been a lot more news, Mike. You've been sort of following on the yeah, Games I Workshop mean, side. For a start, the, the Death Mask thing has a major progression of the 40k storyline, which has sort of been sitting stagnant for quite a while. Yeah, I think the last major update was probably the cracks in the Golden Throne, the hint that the Emperor was dying. Yeah, finally. and. and um, the, the last uh, Black Crusade with the Cadian Gate falling yeah. and well kind of falling a stalemate and all that sort of stuff but this yeah. is a progression of the actual storyline onwards um, and they've released quite a bit of information about the fact that there will be a not quite as severe as uh, Age of Sigma, but an end times for 40k where they progress it and I think that's going to be ready for the next edition of which, which they're edition. already rumoured to be working on as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it will be. Oh, right, there, the there the rumours are pretty much confirmed now. So many people have, have, have said stuff about it. Yeah, but there was a lot of negative feedback came after Age of Sigma about the new rule set. Yeah, it um, had some major problems. So, so I, I don't see them just going and flipping and doing the same no. thing again. You know, they're, they're not they're not like they're Blizzard or something like that. So it just keeps repeating the same stuff and hoping people will, will, will buy it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think that they will do some sort of end times. But because there's also rumours about doing more with the Chaos Gods now, I've been hearing as well. Yes, like, yeah. Potentially more Chaos Gods or more divergent chaos gods ones. Or an additional Chaos God. I still reckon there'll be a, a, a technology Chaos God. Yeah. Still think they're going to have one in the works. Yeah, okay. To make sense. Um, they've also got announcements, well, sorry, not announcements, but very strong rumours yeah. of um, Demon Primarchs and Primarchs for 40k as well. So, we'll, you know, some of those will be returning. Okay, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, because I mean, you've got some nice Primarch figures from the Horus Heresy line and such, but if you want to actually have, you know, Mortarian as a Demon Prince or, yeah. you know, that sort of thing, then, uh, yeah, the, the, these ones let you bring those same characters into your 40k scenario as well yeah. if they're still alive. Yeah, yeah. A, a couple of the uh, the Loyalist Primarchs will be coming back as well, so we'll just... That would definitely be major changes to the storyline. Well, like, I mean, um, they've announced, or they haven't announced, once again, that it, there's rumoured um, Robert Gulliman, um is coming in now. 
he of course is as of the current storyline still in stasis. Yes, stasis was a slick throw. Yeah, but, but considering, he but he got managed, better. <laughs> considering at one stage in the storyline, he managed to fight in hard vacuum without a helmet for four hours. Yes. <laughs> Having a slip throat seemed like a minor inconvenience, really. That's it. Hey, he's not the Primarch of the uh, the Salamanders, you know, who yeah. survived being burnt in a spaceship well, engine or fl- falling from high water. One of the funniest things is, for some reason, he is, you know, Vulcan is one of the Primarchs who's not been announced okay, since coming right. back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, what about, are they, are they doing, what about Russ? Because Lehman Russ said, Lehman he, Russ? he said he wasn't going to come back until the, the end, end times. times. That's it. Yeah. So, so yeah. apparently he's. Rumored to be one of them, and um, Giganti Khan or Jagged High Khan, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Like, as I was just saying the night before the show, that I've I've picked up some of the ways to say some of the 40k names from some of the audio books, or now also from some of the games. But none of the books I've had has mentioned Khan's name, or or at least if it's a White Scars book, they just refer to him as the Great Khan. Yeah, so I'll just call him the Great Khan from now on. Yeah, yeah. So we'll wait and see but yep. I think 8th uh, edition so long as they fix up some of the rules glitches which it looks like they have been I mean they've been really cheap, releasing FAQs and rules errata and stuff for the books yep. to, to make the game a bit more balanced and a bit more clear so long as they keep that focus on the actual game system going forwards I think it'll be a good good addition I mean this new GM has been going pretty much a complete three, you know 180 from the last year and we've was famous for saying that we we're not a games company we're we're a we're a collectibles company yeah and it looks like they're going back to being an actual games company which is what that's it what the fans want to see exactly well we'll talk about this a bit more a bit further as well but let's keep going on with the current news so yeah. on the eternal crusade front i guess probably the the big news right now is that orcs have now been deployed as a playable race to the founders servers yes so that should now mean that all of the originally planned races are now in the game now also I just want to say this is not a new release but I actually had a chance to play quite a bit of uh, the uh, Tyranid missions in uh, in Eternal Crusade in the last month yeah. uh, so the, these are missions where rather than being the typical sort of um, uh, just two sides battle grounds and thing, you've actually got a small group of marines trying to complete a mission in a Tyranid infested Space Hulk base, whatever that's sort of thing, yeah. uh, and and this is a lot of fun because it's pretty much um, you know one life, uh, unlimited waves, uh, get across the uh, retrieve the item, get across the map, sort of stuff, uh, and it's really tactical. You know, you've really like you don't open a door unless two other players are sort of so covering it's, it's covering the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I mean, it makes a huge difference to use the voice chat as well. Yeah, uh, yeah that's it. Because and um, yeah. the, the ridiculous thing is, I always thought that's what this game would be. Yeah, I thought it'd be more of a co-op game sort of thing. Teams maybe against each other, but mostly against NPCs. Yeah, I think that's what people wanted. Yeah, if, if you what I wanted. if you're on the fence about buying a Total Crusade, jump onto YouTube and look at some of the Tyranid Hunt videos. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a whole different game to just the battleground sort of style, you know, pe- uh, deathmatch sort of arrangement that's in the rest of the game. But yeah, a lot, lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it's uh, all the games I play were like right down to the wire. 
it's like you know like, it, like literally like everyone's dying in like the final room before <laughs> and it's like to the point of telling people you know just forget about us just run and you know <laughs> Uh, Save yourselves. <laughs> right, yeah, get, get, the get, get the item off, you know, off the stage, whatever the case might be. Uh, yeah. so, so did you make a glorious sacrifice? Oh, more than a few. Yes. <laughs> that's it. That's the way of the marine. That's it. Uh, okay, so that's the news anyway. Let's move on to our, our Gen Con discussion. Okay. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. All right. So, uh, as you will probably know, we were unable to get along to Gen Con this year. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I... I being Last, on the other side of the planet has a slight hindrance factor there. Yeah, look, I, I'm lucky enough that my that I work in North America as well. So in the past couple of years, I've been able to time work trips around visiting Gen Con, and uh, even then, like the the effort to go into it is is a big deal. Like you know, it's one thing to have your airfares paid for, but if you don't get into the housing block at Gen Con, it's easily a couple of thousand dollars just in accommodation. For the for the few days that you're there as well. So uh, this year, because I had some, I had a lot of early travel to the US at the start of the year, uh, and Jen always happens around my wife's birthday. I decided to give it a miss, and uh, also a bit because last year, when there was no new announcements to, for us to follow as part of the show, I guess it sort of the enjoyment factor was a bit down. Like the previous year, you know, Dark Harry Second Edition came out. You know, there was lots happening. It was a, a sort of great opportunity to cover that show. Last year, I sort of left feeling a bit like, oh, you know, I didn't really seem to, to go home and speak about. Yeah, there was some Star Wars stuff, which I quite like as well, but uh, uh, no 40K stuff last year. And this year, I think that I, I knew in my heart of hearts, you know, that, that, that there was probably nothing, on n- n- nothing coming here. Now, look, I, I want to throw in a, a, a caveat here. I think, I think this is going to be an episode I spent a lot of time throwing in caveats. Uh, so one thing I want to say that, that, that Mike and I... Uh, you know, we're not in the know in this game system. You know, we, we uh, it's it's a great opportunity for us to have a chat with the developers when we interview them for the show. Um, but we're not in the beta testing team. You know, we, uh, we we don't get any clues that you know the the average person doesn't get just by reading forums or or hanging out on the FFG website. So everything that we all our speculation is no different from your speculation or anyone else that just wonders about how these games are going. But yeah, for me, the writing was on the wall that we probably weren't going to see... You know, we were either going to see a big announcement or no announcement. It wasn't just going to be like, oh, here's the next book for Dark Heresy, I didn't think. Yeah. Uh, so, But I decided, anyway, let's, let's sit this one out. We'll cover it from Australia. I did say I'd sort of cover it on the website, and you probably noticed that there's been no news on the website. And that's really because... There's been no news. Yeah, on, so on the 40k RPG front, there was nothing at Gen Con. Um, the, now the in-flight report, which is where they normally announce big things, happened at uh, 4:30 a.m. my time, and I really considered setting an alarm to get up and go because there's actually that day helping friends move house, uh, so I considered setting an alarm to get up early and, and listen to that. But then I sort of thought, no, I'll wait till the morning, see how it goes, and because there was no news, so I just <laughs> I didn't get my ass out of bed at uh, 4:30 in the morning. Uh, but interesting enough, there was no announcements of any role-playing stuff. From FFG, yeah. uh, I mean, they did have they released a new, um, I think, Age of Rebellion book at, at the show. Um, they uh, released a new uh, End of the World scenario book at the show, but there were no new announcements on the on any RPG line at the in-flight report. Uh, oh, they also released the uh, the episode seven, like the uh, the Force Awakens beginner game as well, which was sort of a derivative of the uh, the other three Star Wars systems. 
Uh, but yeah, nothing sort of planned going forward. And I think that this, for me, is indicative of the fact that, particularly through the X-Wing miniatures game, FFG has discovered how lucrative plastic crack is. Yes. You know, if, uh, if you can churn out products that uh, yeah, people have to buy in large quantities to collect... Uh, yeah, that, that's a very lucrative business. I mean, we've always said that role-playing games, you could sell one book to a group of five people who could then play for the rest of their active role-playing lives with just that book, provided they've got enough imagination. Yeah. So, you know, selling, and especially things like splat books where only the gem might buy one, for example. Uh, I mean, I remember for years playing where we only had one copy of each book. You know, it wasn't like every single player bought their own player's handbook. Yeah. There was one player's handbook to go around the whole table. So, yeah, we've always said role-playing games are not an overly lucrative hobby when you also have board games, card games, and especially miniatures games. And on top of that, FFG announced at um, Gen Con the Runebound uh, uh, miniatures game. Uh, So this is based on their World of Terranoth, which we've already seen some some content for in their board games and other materials. Now they have their own miniatures war game. Uh, they've done a few quite nice things with that. So, have you, have you seen much about this at all, Mike? Or? Not at all. Okay, so first off, do you remember back in when, when we used to work at GW uh, and we used to run the uh, Warhammer Fantasy uh, demo games when you used to have the units in like tight formation? We, used to, we made those little sort of wooden bases you could put all the yeah, yeah, figures onto and keep them in a formation as such. Yeah. So, the way this game works is you have these bases that have holes in them. And the uh, the figures literally just slot into the bases. So you might have like a base with like a single hole for a for a commander, or like one with four holes for troops as such. And so you can put almost like the old epic miniatures, but in a in a larger sort of you know twenty five mil scale. And on top of that, the actual edges of all the bases, which are square, all have interlinking parts which allow you to connect multiple bases together. So your literally a unit becomes one big base. Oh. You know, and, and you can remove figures as they die, and then when a gripper dies, you can actually remove one of the whole blocks and shrink down the size of the overall unit. You know, and it lets you do some more unusual things in terms of the shape of the unit. So if you remember back to the old Bretonian days, we had all these options about how yeah, you the, the shape... Formation yeah, that sort of stuff, yeah. Um, so yeah, some interesting ideas there with how they've, how they've done the miniatures. But getting back to the point, um, if you're Games Workshop, who makes your money off miniatures games, and you've licensed one of your properties for the purposes of other materials, board games, role games, etc., to someone who's then also doing products that cross over into your... Um, someone who's now producing a direct competition for you. Yeah, whether it makes business sense to, to get to that agreement. Now, once again, don't know how this has worked out, but there are a lot of rumours on the internet that um, GW is... is uh, Taking the license back and going to release. Yeah, it or presumably back. just not renewing. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the the details of the contract aren't public. Aren't public record, so I can't say whether there's like clauses that allow them to get out, or whether they've got to wait the time out, or minute, you know, minimum numbers of products to be produced by FFG, whatever the case may be. But the rumours going around are that we've seen all we're going to see on 40k from FFG, and that those sort of product lines may reappear back into. Uh, the the games workshop side either through specialist games or, or Black, um, Black Library something along those lines yeah uh, yeah that's I've pretty much seen the same rumors and I mean it's, I can understand FFG not making any announcements about that 
Well, yeah, I mean, and, and they, they, they've got products to sell. Still. That's it, and they're, they're very specific. They never discuss the details of their contracts. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 part of their business strategy, and it's a it's a very sensible one, as far as I'm concerned, as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, one of the things I do in my job is that I often get called upon to make decisions which could impact the future of my own job, for example, or people around me, and, and I like to think that I'm a person who looks pragmatically at a business not just what the impact on me is. And so sometimes I can look at what a company does and say, well, look, I don't like that because it, it doesn't help me. But if I was them, under the circumstances, I would do the exact same thing. You know, once I said, plastic crack produces more money than role-playing books do. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a smart business decision. Uh, and look, you know, at the end of the day, this is all still speculation. We could be completely wrong. Um, it just seems unlikely uh, under the sort of, uh, under all available evidence. Uh so, look, at one point, you know, I was sort of thinking, well, look, you know, we cover these game systems and this show. Uh, we're now getting to the point where we're sort of struggling from episode to episode to find new things to review, new stuff to talk about. Do we also then go and look at uh, winding up, you know, what, what we do here? Um, I thought about, you know, I really enjoy doing this podcast and we, we talk about other games as well. So should we do a more generic gaming podcast? I started saying to a few people I talked to, you know, what do you like about the show that would work in a generic format? Uh, you know, because there's, there's a lot of generic gaming podcasts, you know, it's hard to stand yeah. out. Uh, but I think that for the time being, I think we're going to, we should, I'm going to discuss this if you might, but I think we should stick it out for the time being in case we hear something from Games Workshop. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when uh, Games Workshop discontinued Black Industries and shut the role-playing game line down, a lot of people speculated that we might see something from someone else. Uh, but we didn't know until it was announced, and it could be yeah. some. You know, if, if there's a contract which has to run out its current time period, or you know, in order to start producing stuff, they've actually got to go and hire writers and actually write something new. Um, you know, the, the Games Workshop are the sort of people who announce something when there's a product. They don't. They don't say we are working on a product. They say here is a product. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think we'll, you know, well, at least for the time being, um, you know, while while things are up in the air continue doing what we normally do you know run the show and, and talk about what we can with these lines and, and the games and things and uh, yeah I, I still hope to keep in contact with those guys at, at FFG because they're still involved in games and I do like like Star Wars as well and you know they've got similar interests and backgrounds too so yeah. that's a good opportunity there um, what else at, uh, at Gen Con I mean, is there anything else that you sort of like to follow Mike that you know because I, I did I spent a lot of time trolling various news sites Twitter you know, the trolling ver- or trawling? <laughs> trawling, sorry, yes, good point. Yeah. Um not me I mean I mean I look at some of the stuff and some of the stuff looks very good. Um a few other miniatures games were announced and, and some expansions were announced for them, Malifax and Malifo. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, um yeah, I was gonna say, because I one thing I've been following is I last year kicks got in the Kickstarter for the Battletech computer game. Yeah. And they had the first playable alpha of that at Gen Con. Uh, and you can actually jump onto YouTube now and see... I, I've that. actually started playing an iOS game recently called Giant Walking Robots. <laughs> it's totally Battletech ripoff, <laughs> but it's called Giant Walking Robots, and in no way is it Battletech. Okay. Uh, well, this one is... It, it's like Mech Commander, yeah. but it's not... It, so it's RTS until you get into combat, and then it goes to a sort of turn-based strategy... Which, where it's based on initiative built around how big your mech is so yeah. light mechs go first they're medium and heavy then assault and such but you can also delay actions in order to do like a like a one two hit as such so if your light mech is snuck around the back and it's out of sight 
rather than having them come out, do one shot, and then have the Temi Mech turn around and blast them. And, you know, you can literally wait to the end of the turn, run around, do your shot, and then have a second shot at the mech's back before they get a chance to respond. So, or sort of, run away. Or run away. <laughs> run out, shoot it, shoot it again, run away. Oh, look, in the tech demo they did at the, at the show, um, you know, they had a, a commando took down a marauder by um, running around behind it and shooting it in the back, you know, so... It can <laughs> Exactly. Just difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, that, that looks like a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that one coming out. Uh, also, because, as you know, we run I run Scion as one of my games, so it looks like Onyx Path are going to do a Kickstarter for Scion very soon as well, um, so that, to move into their second edition. Um, yeah, there was I, I missed out on something, actually, as well. That's right, there was some more stuff for Shadowrun Crossfire, that was exclusive to the show, um, and uh, uh, Matt, who's our friend who goes to Chengon each year, uh, saw it, but by the time he managed to get back to the stand to get it for me, it had sold out, unfortunately. But to be honest, I have Crossfire and everything that's come with it, but I've never actually run a single, never played a single game of it. Okay. So, <laughs> but I, you know me, I'm a, I'm a collector, you know, so... Yes. Yes. Um, the large collection of X-wing stuff still in shrink wrap on the. On the uh, hey, hey, hey! Look at that. The top, the top one over there is unwrapped. Oh, the Imperial yeah. Aces is unwrapped. <laughs> Everything it. else is still shrink wrapped. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of stuff that was really um, there was big news for me at Gen Con. Um, look, it's always nice to get along and play. I, it looks like they're doing some more stuff with Pathfinder, but Pathfinder is not really a. Um, a game I got a lot of my friends got heavily into Pathfinder but but me not so much yeah it's a so. bit I, I always found Pathfinder to be a bit too much about the rules yeah and okay. I'm a rules person and even I found it too much about the rules that's it so yeah I mean I, I mainly look at when I get when I look at Gen Con I look mainly at the uh, at the role playing game releases there's always lots of board games as well look I enjoy, I enjoy board games I had a, I got to play um uh, not Eldritch Horror uh, Elder Sign the other day for the first time with Cthulhu card game and that was yeah. a cooperative one that was a lot of fun as well but uh, yeah I'm more in it for the for the RPGs um, yeah so I guess just we'll have to wait and see, wait and see stay on the rise and see yeah, what see what comes it's out it's terrible and, when you have to say but wait and see yeah that's it yeah yeah. And, and look you know I'll be honest if you do have other ideas about stuff that you think that you know Mike and I would uh be able to do better uh, in terms of an alternate show down the track if, if this everything dries up then feel free to post suggestions either to our email or to the website as well you know we're willing to take suggestions I, was, I sort of said to people what what do we do in our current show that stands out as something that would work more generically and yeah. Uh, but yeah we're still committed to this for the time being um, you know I sort of had a hundred shows nominally planned uh, like I'll put it this way I have at least one segment planned up till show 100 uh, but that's you know that's still 30 uh, 29 shows away after this you know so yeah. that's a long way uh, that's over a year at the current rate too so I don't know if you can go for a year you know reviewing something which is effectively not, not developing really, not releasing yeah. or, or you know or we could do what uh, for example Order 66 podcast did which is disappear and then come back if a new edition comes out again in the future so yeah, yeah. yeah come back somehow bigger and better I don't know you know <laughs> we'll have to figure something out. That's it. Uh, so that's pretty it. That's that's all we can really say about Gen Con was uh, that there's the the biggest news is there is no news. Yes. Uh, but that we'll wait and see what happens in in coming months and uh, slash years. Yeah. All right, then well, let's get back on to actually talk about these game systems then. Okey All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. So for today's career discussion, 
uh, for Dark Heresy, we're going to be talking about the penitent role from Enemies Within. Yeah. Uh, with this one, I sort of wondered at first, you know, how do we distinguish it from the fanatic? And I, I, I guess what the the penitent lacks in terms of against the fanatic is really the the social angle. You know, the fanatic has options in terms of hatred. Yes. Well, no, so, no, so, so what I'm saying is, is is more social traits, for example. Yes. Whereas uh, the the penitent has, you know, more in terms of offense, toughness. You know, I, I guess it's more of the sort of the. Uh, the combat ready side yeah um, they also generally will come from some sort of background situation which gives them more towards knowledges as well yeah okay yeah. They're, they're penitent for a reason exactly right yeah <laughs> that's true although uh, some are penitent for no reason at all yeah, yeah. because why not exactly yeah um, anyway so let's jump into it so I, I guess thinking about the role the the penitent plays in your in your inquisitor's warband and such um I guess that it, it, okay. It, it's tempting to call them tanks, okay, um, because they're all about sort of they they welcome pain uh, because the pain that they receive is punishment for past sins. Yeah. But they are not sacrificial lambs, uh, and we'll talk about this when we sort of get to assistance for playing a penitent as well. But at the end of the day, the main thing is that they are there to receive the the, the beating yes. <laughs> and such, and they actually seek it out. Um, they're also exem- examples of the fact that you can go from someone who has wronged to someone who now does right. Yeah. So it, it would be a mistake to assume that penitents are all just about beating on the non-believer, like like a, like a fanatic, 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 fanatic is. Yes, sorry. Had a, had a complete word loss moment there. Um, so yeah, I mean, the other thing is that they have to believe that if they can change, so can this other person and such. So... Uh, it's as much about sort of giving that other person being them into the submission so that they can then be converted to so they wood. can see his glorious light that's right yeah and, and if they don't it's all about beating them that bit further so that they're now dead and uh, because it's so, some people are irredeemable you know, uh, even in the penitence lies so yeah I guess that's the sort of where they sit in the in the war band uh, their special ability is called cleansing pain it's one of the few special abilities that doesn't resolve around the use of a fate point yeah. uh, so when you take at least one wound um, after your toughness numbers are taken into account, uh, you will gain a plus 10 bonus on your next test, whatever it is, provided it's done before the end of your next turn. Yeah. So, and this can happen, you know, basically... Every time you take damage. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, although it doesn't stack. It's basically, yeah, if you take, you know, in any given round, if you take damage by the end of your next turn, you must, or you'll get the bonus as such. So, not too bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a huge bonus. You know, it's the same bonus here for aiming... Or you know, for yeah, it's not hard to get a plus ten bonus, but it's it's a nice freebie as such. So, all right, so let's uh, look at actually building your penitent. Characteristic wise, um, toughness. toughness definitely. Um, toughness, forget everything. Else. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> uh, toughness, willpower. Yeah, weapon skill. Weapon I think it really you know it. it, it close it, combat. Yeah, 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 that's it. And intelligence. You, you mentioned you you hit on the key point before there, and that is that they're often a penitent because of something they've done or something they've learned. Uh, so intelligence is actually not a bad one to to also consider uh, because they may get some decent access to laws as well. Yeah, especially forbidden laws. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So skills. Uh, here's what I put down. I put down athletics first off. Now, if you're going to regularly, you know, flagellate yourself or or 
put yourself in, in pain's way in order to uh, mortify your flesh, then having a sound constitution is probably key to surviving that. You know, it's it doesn't help to be you know sort of constantly uh, off off duty because you're dealing with infections from self-inflicted scars, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so athletics is a good one, and Medicaid by the same token as well. Medicaid actually recommended as a decent skill yeah, for them. Yeah. Um, you mentioned laws of law, so yeah, definitely things like common law and imperial creed, you know. If you're going to be um, devout in faith, you need to make sure that you know what that faith is. Interrogation. Uh, yeah, interrogation, intimidate as well. Yeah. Uh, definitely forbidden laws is a good one because, you know, may, maybe that's why you're now a penitent because you... Read, you, you read that unholy tone, you know, uh, and scholastic laws as well for, that, for the same token as such. You know, now that now that you are devoted to a particular task, you should have more than just the. And this is where I look at the fact you can cover any common law to scholastic law. You know, it, you would really want to try and have something like scholastic or imperial creed or whatever it is that you've now devoted yourself to in your penance. Uh, talents, uh, diehards, I mean, diehards one of the options to get anyway, uh, but that allows you to test willpower to avoid uh, fatigue from blood loss. Uh, enemy, you know, probably enemy inquisition or enemy ecclesiarchy or something, you know, if you've pissed off people in order to end up where you are. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned before hatred by the same token. Hatred. Yeah. Uh, frenzy. frenzy. And, and there's a number of uh, additional traits that run off frenzy as well. That being said, I, when I was going through this, I went, okay, so normally when I say weapon skill-based character, okay, you want parry. But do you? As a penitent, is it not your choice to receive the blows of your opponent? I mean, they don't seek death, but they well, also... It depends you know, what they're parrying, doesn't yeah, it? If, if you're parrying a bloodthirster's axe, yes. if you don't parry that, you're dead. Yeah, okay. Whereas, you know, if you, I probably would say, yeah, you should... Yeah, because I left off parrying most of the parry-based talents, you know. Like, um, so anyway, um, Hardy. So you always count as slightly wounded, or at least when you are wounded. Anyway, uh, infused knowledge is good if you are going for that that law-based sort of character. Uh, never die. So you can spend a fate point to ignore injury. So this is one of those ones where, like, okay, should they be ignoring injury and pain? But this allows them to basically ignore it for the mechanical purposes of the game. Oh, yeah, they're still suffering yeah. the pain. That's it, yeah. They've still got no arm. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's, it's fueling them forward as such. Yeah. Uh, and then probably resistances as well, like resistance to fear, resistance to psychic powers. You know, you, you've, you've trained yourself against those things as well. Or even, even things like resistance to heat and cold because, once again, they are just more ways to harm the flesh that you actually seek out. Yeah. Um, okay, so as far as good home worlds go, uh, first off, I thought that one of the best ones was Feral World. So Feral World gives you uh, high toughness, it gives you the toughness attitude, which you are going to get anyway, but it still focuses on that. And also its ability is quite good, the ability to treat low-tech weapons as proven, because it you know would be a common thing to see a penitent with a low-tech weapon as well, especially yeah. with that melee skill focus. Uh, Forge World gives you a high toughness and intelligence aptitude as a possibility so that would mean I guess a penitent to the machine cult yeah. which is also quite possible too most definitely yep yeah. um, Deptus Mechanicus penitent yep Shrine World seems like a bit of an obvious one Shrine um, World's very obvious yeah, yeah. in terms of uh, so high willpower and the willpower aptitude Feudal World fits too yeah so and that one's going to get weapon skill it's, but that's the only um, uh, world which gives you weapon skill as an aptitude because yeah. this is interesting they don't get weapon skill as an aptitude from being a penitent so yeah. um, they do get offense though so that'll give you the cheapest weapon skill if you combine those two yeah. um, 
Voidborn uh, gives you both a high intellect and a high willpower and the, and the intelligence aptitude. Uh, Research Station gives you a high intelligence and the knowledge aptitude. Demon World, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Demon World um, gives you a high willpower and the willpower aptitude. So same as Shrine World there. Yeah. And uh, Penal World, which is once again focused on the toughness side. So. I have to say, pretty much... From a fluff point of view, any of them will work for a penitent. Yeah, the, I guess the ones that don't work so well are the ones that are more agility, social focused, like Hive World, for example. Uh, I mean, it's not to say you can't have a, a penitent from a Hive World. I mean, once again, we're not talking about what you can and can't do. These are just These worlds that mechanically benefit where they want to be. Mechanically benefit, yeah. But I, I think Hive World still fits somewhat because they don't get anything social or so if you want to be a sort of all round jack of all trades type character as a penitent yeah. something like that probably works that's true yeah um, in terms of backgrounds there wasn't a lot that really stood out to me I, I tried to look for backgrounds that give you at least three things yeah. so um, Adeptus Administratum so a penitent administrator I guess you know it's I didn't carry the three uh, <laughs> Exactly right, yeah. Uh, but but they, they get Medicaid as an option, uh, they get to pick any scholastic law, uh, and they get the knowledge aptitude as well. Yeah. Um, Adeptus Arbites, this almost takes me back to the, the long walk from Judge Dredd, you know, where at the end of, end of their service they sort of head out into the wasteland to bring law to the lawless. Uh, they get common law underworld, both interrogation and intimidate. Yeah. So. Um, Adeptus Aurotus is also a bit of a gimme. They, they get a Athletics, Intimidate, and Medicaid. Um, mutants uh, is not a bad penitent choice. So Athletics, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Intimidate, Forbidden Law they get as well. Mutants. Yeah. Uh, and then Exercise, because they get Forbidden Exor- Law, Demons, exercise, Intimidate, penitent. Hatred as well. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably... That and Mutants probably two easiest, most obvious ones, really. Well, let's, let's talk about our character builds now, because I, I thought so too. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so start off with my first example build is um, the man consumed by sin. So this is a person who has been raised by the church to basically feel that, you know, any ungodly thought is impure... Um, and, and therefore, that you know, the flesh must be constantly mortified to. He's uh, penitent for <laughs> sins real and imagined. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So here I've gone for a shrine world, adeptus ministorum penitent. Yeah. Uh, now, when I was building this character, when I was building some of these characters, I was thinking about let's try and get something as close as possible to an archaeoflagellant, but really, it's not the right one for it. Like, I'd probably just go warrior for that sort of thing because you are going to miss some of the key skills or or, or talents that make somebody that sort of that ultimate combat machine so this is more of a person who is educated but fanatical as well yeah. uh, so they're going to have a high fellowship high willpower low perception not too bad for a, a penitent uh, skills will be charm command common law adeptus ministorum scrutiny and linguistics high gothic yeah. so not a lot of the skills we mentioned we focused on before but still a, a good mix with a bit of social in there as well uh, talents once again yes melee training sorry weapon training flame is an option but I thought that's not really the sort of... The, that's more the itinerant priest's way, rather the, the penitent's way is more the close combat because you don't get hurt with a flamethrower unless, you know, I guess you're... You fa- you, you, or your flaming opponents manage to make it to you and <laughs> fall over you in their, in their dying throes. Yeah. Uh, so weapon training, low-tech and solid projectile and uh, the flagellant talent as well they'll get. Yeah. Equipment will be a Warhammer, sub-revolver robes, backpack, glow globe and a loud hailer servo skull. Um, fate threshold will be three with a six plus blessing. Aptitudes of willpower, social, agility, fieldcraft, intelligence, offense, and toughness. So, 
good mix. Yeah, I mean, agility and fieldcraft's going to give them the high stealth skills. Yeah. Not really <laughs> where I was going for with a penitent, but uh, yeah, a lot of things there are, are yeah, you'll have a lot of 250s, not a lot of 100s. Yeah, you're going yeah. to be a general all-rounder. Exactly right, yeah. You're going to do quite well at a lot of things, Yeah, but not fantastic at anything particularly. Exactly. Uh, wounds are 7 plus 1d5. Some things to buy post-creation might be things like Intimidate, um, Scholastic Law Imperial Creed, Die Hard, Frenzy, Hatred. You know, these things you want to be going for with this sort of character. Yeah. Um, okay, so option two, uh, I've called the, the Devout Mutant. So this is the the um, mutant by circumstance, you know, so whether it's by industrial waste or you know, whatever, whatever's happened, something has driven this Exposure person. Exposure to something. Exactly right. Um, who... Uh, who is still who is still devout to the emperor basically, and, and seeks to punish themselves for their body's frailty while still serving the god emperor. So essentially, old, old forty k beastman. That's right. Yeah, that's true. So here I've gone for void born mutant penitent. Yeah. So have a high intelligence, high willpower, but a low strength. So they're not going to be as effective in the close combat. Uh, skills will be athletics, awareness, intimidate, forbidden law, mutants, and survival. Uh, talents of weapon training, low-tech and solid projectile, as well as flagellant. Uh, for the trait, I suggested because of that sort of tankiness of the uh, the penitent to go for a natural toughness. Yeah. Um, and equipment will be... I struggle a bit here between choosing the great weapon. Uh, once again, with a low strength, a great weapon probably doesn't fit as well. So I went instead with the shotgun, grapnel online, heavy leathers, combat vest, and two doses of stim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, faith threshold of three with a five plus blessing, and then aptitudes will be intelligence, field craft, agility, ballistic skill, weapon skill, offense, and toughness. So, uh, personally, I would have made this a feral world, yeah, mutant penitent. Okay, I would have gone the full beastman. Yeah, <laughs> full beastman. When I die in battle, gloriously in the emperor's name, I get to come back as a real person. Yeah, okay, that's just not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright, uh, wounds in this case is 7 plus 1d5, so that's another place they'd do bowl with a feral water with a much higher wounds. Yeah. Um, and then purchases you might want to look at is Medicaid, Hardy, Never Die, and Resistance. Okay. Okay, and the last example here, I've called this one the Empty Vessel. So this is a Demon World exercise penitent. So the, the person that's, you know, <laughs> has been truly touched by the demonic and is now serves the Inquisition to, to, to defeat. Destroy the demons. Exactly right. So high willpower, high perception, low fellowship. Uh, skills will be Synesience, Awareness, Deceive, Dodge, Forbidden Lord Demonology, and Intimidate. Yeah. Uh, talents of Hatred Demons, Weapon Training, Solid Projectile, and Chain, and Die Hard. And then equipment of Auto Pistol, Shotgun, Chain Blade, Imperial Robes, Three Doses of Trank, an Excruciator Kit, Rebreather, and Glow Globe. Glow Globe. And of course, the Excruciator Kit is not for someone else. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, fate threshold of three with a four plus blessing, so a decent chance there at a four. Of four yeah. uh, and then attitudes of willpower, knowledge, agility, fieldcraft, intelligence, offense, and toughness. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, once again, wounds are only seven plus one d five, and then you might want to look at buying things like enemy inquisition, yeah. uh, infused knowledge and resistance. One of the things you'd also buy is untouchable with that one. Yeah, elite, elite advance, yeah. Untouchable, yeah, it's an elite advance. Yeah, okay. Uh, so there's a few different builds you might use for a penitent. Um, some things to think about when actually playing a penitent is, I guess, working out what are you actually 
Atoning for. Yeah, what are you actually atoning for? Is is, is it, yeah, like you said before, real or imagined sins? Uh, because, you know, one thing that churches do well is, is guilt people. So <laughs> sometimes it really is stuff they really had no control over, but the church has told them that... Um, yeah, that you are you are lesser for this, and therefore you need to be punished. Yeah, um, and that's sort of leads to the second point, which is you need to work out whether what your character seeks forgiveness for is something that actually can be attained. You know, so is is are they just planning to you know punish themselves for the rest of their natural life, or are they trying to reach a particular point where they feel they have you know they have atoned? Atoned, yeah. Like it could, could be, for example, that they were that by their actions a demon was loosed from a from an artifact. And that they seek now to to destroy the demon or return the artifact or something. And once that's done, then their their penance is paid. Or is it literally a case of you know I am a mutant because I you know was too close to the warp and I'll always be a mutant and so I must always be punished for that. Yeah. And the most important one is, as I mentioned at the very start, it's not about seeking death. It's not about seeking sacrifice. Um, the whole point of penance is that it's ongoing. Uh, and it's not just the like you said with the, the beastman, you know, the, the, the glorious death in combat, so I can be a real real boy. Um, it is the whole thing of that, you know, that my life has to be pain, and death is an escape from that pain. Yeah. So you know, I, I can't I can't continue to atone or help others to discover their own um, need for for atonement if I'm dead. That, that's it, because if if you go for oh I'm just seeking death, well, suicide is a, is, is a single bolt shell of life. <laughs> that's it, yeah, and what's the point of your character after that so yeah it really is you have to achieve something yeah but I'm sure suicide's a crime in 40k like you know it, it, it would decrease your productivity you know as, as, as assigned by your your cast by a substantial yeah. amount to suddenly be dead well I suppose it depends on the world yeah I mean for, for the beastman point of view you know you can't go before the emperor to try and become a real boy if all you've ever done is kill three people in combat <laughs> that's true yeah. it's just gonna go no yeah. You know, you have to kill scores and scores of people on behalf of the Emperor. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Alright, so that's a penitent. Uh, let's move on to the next part of the show. Okay. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium. Stand by to receive orders. So, in a bit of a twist, I've decided to actually uh, combine plot hooks and war gear here together. Yeah. And I'm not going for a particular item of war gear, I'm just going for a particular concept I want to talk about as a. Uh, a plot built around an item. And this is the concept of profane or forbidden tomes. Uh, anybody that's played Call of Cthulhu uh, will will know the pleasure of finding a mythos tome and then the horror as your character descends in the madness simply really- by opening the pages such, yes. yeah. So, I mean, these are, I guess, a common MacGuffin uh, in the 40k setting is that uh, they either contain you know, the law to do something, you know, you, you need to read it to learn something, um, or the book in, in itself is somehow powerful, like, you know, it's, it's all well and good to know the ritual to destroy the demon, but you need the book present, you know, because it actually contains the demon's true name, which cannot be spoken by the mortal tongue, but, you know, somehow it can be read from the book, or, you know, somehow, it, it's not it's not just a, a, a book of facts, it's actually a book of action as such. Yeah. Um, you know, or it's something you need to try and recover uh, to get it away from heretics so it can be destroyed, whatever the case may be. You know, the, 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 the book as a MacGuffin is, is a common trope, in I think, in the 40K universe. And in, in, actually, in any sort of sort of um, psychological horror concept as well, you know, because 
uh, I think that no other article in you know, the modern world, or oh, I suppose other than things like you know, smartphones, etc. But you know, talking talking about the gothic world of 40k, nothing contains as much lore as even you know as, as a as a giant book with a chain around it, you know, and a and a, and a screaming face etched into its leather cover as such. Yes. Um, so, Mike, I mean, what, for, to be a to be an effective thing, what is what is a what is a profane time for you need to have? Uh, weird signals and foreign languages. Yes. <laughs> well, this is coming. We'll be talking about, about, about languages shortly as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I suppose, really, it has to have a, a history or a reason for existing where it's been located. You know, if you're just going and buying one in the supermarket, you know, th- you know, dozen for <laughs> cheap, it's not really all that useful. Yeah. It's not going to have any of the same impact if, oh, he just happens to be carrying a faint time throw it on the pile with the rest. They have to be unique, they have to be different, and they have to have a reason for existing. So, you know, what is it that's special about this book? What is it that makes this book profane? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? How did they get the information that they put into it? What does the information in it, does it cover the past, the future, the present? Yeah. I mean, for the individual individual item to be important, it needs to be the only one of its kind because only one was ever created. You know, like, you know, this is literally the handwritten book that contains this knowledge. Or because it was previously mass produced, but for any for whatever reason has been destroyed down. This is the last remaining copy. Yeah. You know, but both of those things make, you know, that, that particular tome very important. Uh, I disagree with that a little bit. Yep. It doesn't have to be completely unique. You know, if there's a dozen in the galaxy. Yeah, okay. You know, there's yeah. hundreds of billions, right. trillions of people. Getting back to the Call of Cthulhu example, there's, there's more than one copy of you know the Vermis mysteries, but you know yeah. still finding one is a is a feat. So yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess the thing is that it needs to have a you know a solid description. You know, like, like any other sort of major plot point. You know, think about things like you know the the style of the writing. You know, like, like literally, is it is it penned in blood on human flesh? You know, or is it you know conventional paper pages? Is there the hint that the uh, the writer's mind was going as they continue, so the words and the text becomes more frenetic? You know, another common thing I've seen done very nicely for these sort of things is um, when somebody between when it was written and when the players got their hands on it has gotten the book, and so there are notations, notations in the in the in the margins as such, and the the notations are just as interesting as the uh, the materials in the book as well because they've also done further study and they have progressed. The story of of what the book brings. Yeah, I just want to say the whole written in blood on human flesh type thing. It, it's a little bit overdone. Yeah, yeah. A book can be just as creepy if it's old paper with black ink and you know the, the whole monks with the illuminated images down the sides. Yes, you know, <laughs> which get worse and worse the further into the book it goes. Yeah, that works just as well. It doesn't have to be written on human skin every single time. No, that's right, yeah. yeah. That, what about if it's like a role-playing book with really bad referencing? Oh. <laughs> it's like, the name of the demon shall be found on page XX. XX. <laughs> <laughs> and no, no index, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the most recent one with... Um, Vampire V20. I, I thought, oh, their, their poor referencing is gone. No, no, no. Get to a page and it says, oh, Frenzy is done this way, but if you've got instincts, refer to this page. And it refers to the same page that you're already on, and there's no <laughs> reference to it at all other than saying, refer. It's a circular re- reference. Yeah, it's, it's a reference circular. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, 
definitely use books as part of your um, uh, your game. Use traits like linguistics, scholastic lore to make it so that the players can't just you know get the book, read the book, and everything is is sorted out. And yeah. also remember that a lot of the tomes that are banned are banned for very good reasons. Often they will have a damaging effect on the mind of the person who peruses yeah. it. So corruption, yeah, insanity points, so. definitely some things you should be thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Even if they don't, I mean, once you've read the book and you know something from the book, you can't unknow it without some very, very painful psychic procedures or (laughs) physical procedures. Did did I ever tell you about the bumper sticker from Miskatonic University? No. Yeah, Miskatonic University is is the university in Arkham from the Call of Cthulhu setting. And, like, someone's on a bumper sticker, which is like an advertising sticker for the, you know, for the university. It's like, you know, uh, Miskatonic University has got the big MU, and and their slogan is, we'll teach you things you can't unlearn. Yes. Yeah, so just a little little hint there that, you know, definitely uh, it's a great MacGuffin, is the the, the dark illuminated tome as such. So uh, do consider using it in your games. Definitely. Let's keep going. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. Okay, so I've been looking forward to this particular segment. Uh, this is something that I've been waiting to review for some time. Yeah. Uh, it's just come out. So this is uh, Eisenhorn Xenos, the computer game which has just come out. Now I'm going to throw one of my caveats here and point out that everything I'm going to be talking about is based upon my experiences playing the PC version of the game. So Eisenhorn Xenos is both a PC game and a iOS slash Android game, so like a, yeah. a tablet. I don't actually I don't know if it's Android. It's definitely iOS. Any case, you know, it is tablet capable. So that, a lot of people try to go, oh, you know, tablet port, that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and to be honest, playing the PC version, I struggle somewhat thinking about how easily that would translate to the tablet. You know, so I, I mean, the game is like I think it's about ten dollars US. So like fifteen bucks Australian thereabouts. I think I paid fourteen dollars on. Uh, and it's on, it's on it's cheap right now on Steam as well. Um, and there's a like a thirty eight dollar version I could buy, which also came with a digital copy of the book plus some art. But you know, I've got the book. I didn't care much about the art, so I just bought the the base edition. Um, so first off, uh, I'm a fan of the book. Okay, so I, I'm a fan of the, of the Eisenhorn novels. Uh, I've read them all. Not even audiobook. I actually read the novels themselves. You actually read the book. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah. Maybe well, it... you just make glyph markings on pieces of paper <laughs> when you're passing information out to us. Um, so I'm coming this. I'm coming at this as a fan of the book. Uh, my first impression was that the idea is really, really good. You know, it, it is. It is like playing an interactive version of the novel. Uh, and I guess that has both pros and cons. Um, the pro is that you know I'm getting to sort of see, you know, what I've read about from a, uh, you know, I've, re- I've read it in a book and now I'm actually seeing it in a almost movie-like format as such. Yeah. The con is that it is so doggedly accurate to the book as to be no surprises. Like you know, scene scene by scene. Even down, even down, like when there's dialogue, there's no dialogue choices in the game because the dialogue is exactly what is said in the book. You know, so I mean, okay. that, I, 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 you know, there's certain bits of Eisenhorn dialogue I quite like. You know, my favourite is definitely the part where he says that my, you know, my patience is not unlimited, unlike my authority, yeah. um, and because that makes its way into the <laughs> in, into the game. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, 
every now and again someone will say to me like you know but you know my, my lord inquisitor what should we do and I'm thinking like it's about to walk with the box saying we should kill him or we should let him go but no it's all all the FMVs are sort of predetermined or not full motion videos all, all the sort of cutscenes are, are predetermined um, the more I've played the game now I've, I've probably put I'm going to say about seven hours into this game over the course of the weekend um, if anybody is familiar with the book I'm, I'm just up to the point after the uh, first encounter with Mandragore, the Chaos Space Marine. Um, so, you know, just after that, after, just after they first got their hands on Pontius Claw. Uh, so that's probably maybe a bit over half, maybe towards two thirds of the way through the book. So I'm guessing that the total gain is going to be about sort of 10 to 11 hours playtime. Uh, and look, I am enjoying it. Um, the more I play it, the more I can see just bits of poor polish. Um, so some examples include there really isn't enough instruction in the game as to what you should be doing next. Okay, yes, there's a bit saying, okay, this is the next objective, but there's no sort of waypoint markers. Um, commonly, there's all these sort of like mini games as such, like whenever you try to use your will to someone to control them, there's a mini game. When you try to hack a door, there's a mini game. And at no point is the mini game ever sort of explained. You just sort of some, you click on something and something up comes a new mini game. It's like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? And you start clicking and it's like, boom, boom. You know all these red signals as you've uh, failed to sort of figure out straight away what you're actually trying to achieve uh, in, in this mini game. Um, and, and the other thing that I find frustrating is the fact that so once again, talk about the PC controls. Your, your basic controls are space is to interact with something, um, Q is to use your psychic power, E is to use your auspics and the arrow keys move you accordingly. Uh, when you get into combat, um, then you add in the left and right click. So left click is uh, melee attack, right click is, is ranged attack. So you can't use your weapon outside of combat. So even if you like have snuck up behind someone in there, okay, yes, you can assassinate someone who's right behind them, but if there's someone on a high vantage point, you can't shoot them because you're not in, if you're not in, already in combat with them, for example. Um, and when you're also in combat, your space bar changes from interact to do a defensive roll out of the way. So what this means is when you get into combat, you can't interact with objects in the environment, which is annoying because it's clear they've made the game with interactable objects in the common environments, like cover you can vault over. Um, even like in, in when there's like arenas with big boss fights, there's like health packs in the arena, but you can't click on them to heal yourself during the battle because you can't interact with anything. Um, I, I came across a really annoying circumstance where an enemy was on a higher level than me and wasn't coming down and I couldn't interact with the ladder to get up to them so I literally had to go and reload the game because you know, the AI had bugged and the enemy wasn't getting where I could shoot them and I couldn't get out of combat to actually continue the game at all. Uh, so I don't know whether the interaction mechanic still works on the, the tablet version but on the PC version it's a real, sort of, it's, it's a real harsh one as well. Um, I've had a couple of other game-breaking bugs so far. I've had one where... Uh, so there's a sort of animation that plays when you leap from one platform to another as such. And at one point that played, and I, it let me in a different direction. I ended up stuck in a wall, and once I had to reload the game. Yeah. Um, and the other one I had was that I was sort of doing this stealthing bit, stealthing around killing people, and I got to a part where I just couldn't proceed. There was a locked door I couldn't work out how to open it, and I reloaded the game and actually worked out that one of the people I killed, I was actually supposed to use psychic controller to make him open the door. But that wasn't sort of communicated anywhere except the fact that when I moused over him in the psychic mode, I realized there was actually a use will option rather than just what it calls provoke, which makes the guy come towards you so you can 
assassinated me. So I assassinated all the bad guys and thought, oh, now I can't go anywhere, and then had to reload and realize, no, I've actually got to go and uh, control a guy. So it's just like, I'm enjoying the game, but I just get frustrated when you get these little things. And also, it's just things like occasionally there'll be a scene where they, they put the camera in the wrong spot, or the characters are like sort of hovering a foot off the ground while they're talking. I've had one where a character talk without their mouth moving. Just, you know, these little bits that don't really affect the gameplay, but the, the lack of polish does hurt it a bit. Um, I think back to, there's a Steam game I got, which is like um, Game Studio Manager as such, where you actually, you start off with a game studio at the dawn of the, like the Apple II days as such, and yeah. play it through to modern day. And the way that game works is when you're programming your game, bugs keep appearing in your code, and once you finish programming the game, you can stop at any point and ship the game. Or if you leave the character still programming past the end of the development, then the bugs start coming out. Uh, and occasionally bugs can sort of sneak in there, like in there as well as you code. But the idea is if you, you either get the game early with lots of bugs, or, or you wait until the bugs are all gone. And that's what I think about every time I play a game like this. It's obvious they sort of they got to the end of development and like, okay, ship the game. As as it is, you know, uh, you know we'll do one quick bug through to make sure it works. That works good enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So look, I mean. I, I am enjoying the game. Don't get me wrong. Every chance I get a chance to play it, and keep in mind when I say every chance I get to play it, I have three kids and a wife that expects me to help look after those three kids. So, that's... Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, yeah, when I, when I get a chance to sit down and play it, I do, and I am enjoying it, but it's just every now and again things come up that just make me go, oh, this is, this is frustrating. I, I'm not seeing things where I say, oh, this is clearly just because this is a, a, a tablet port, this is in there. I'm inconvenienced because of the dual platform support. Um, Except for that whole thing with the controls where the space bar has to be yeah. used for, for dodging and diving. Okay, um, so, so my question is... Yes? If this was a completely new story, not the Eyes on Horn book that you love, yeah. would you think that this was a good game still? Um, okay, so I'm going to ask that by, by referring back to the novel here. When I first read Eisenhorn, I struggled a bit to keep up with some of the connections between what's just happened and the next part of the investigation. Yeah, it didn't... It, it come, come up, and I, I, mean, I was like, I was not young when I read Eisenhorn, but, you know, a couple of times I go, hold on a second, I don't even get how he got from this investigation to suddenly going over here. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me as such. Um, or you know, really sort of broad sweeps of logic. And it's even less explained in the computer game. Uh, I mean, one of the things, for example, from the Eisenhorn series is Eisenhorn has this language called Glossia which is sort of like a code language he uses with his personnel. And in the novels, you know, whenever he's, whenever they use the code language, it'll always say in Eisenhorn's sort of thought, you know, this means that blah, 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 you know. Um, you know, so Thorne desires Aegis means he wants um, Midas Betancourt to bring the ship to where he is. Uh, and, it, and they use Glossier all the time in the game, but never do they explain... Um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so, um, so you're watching people speaking in code, <laughs> and look, they don't overdo it because it's usually like the way that glossy works is usually just like it's an order. Yeah. They just so they don't, they don't have a back and forth conversation. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, you know <laughs> an order given, and you're like, okay, I guess that means something important. And look, over time you figure it out. But yeah, so I guess that um, having now read the book, and then at some point later on going through and worked out what the full storyline is, I'm less frustrated by. The, the leaps in logic that the story makes but maybe someone who hasn't read the book who was playing it as a game for the first time that was their first exposure to Eisenhorn um, yeah would, would sort of go okay I, I didn't really get that bit what, what, how, why is that important and such yeah. um, but yeah it starts to make more sense 
like there's there's things that appear at the start of the game, you know, they appear at the start of the book that you sort of go, okay, well, I guess that wasn't important thing. It wasn't mentioned again. Yet it reappears later on. It's a classic sort of Chekhov's gun sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I I do enjoy the game. It's just a bit unpolished. I honestly, you know, as an iOS game, I can't see them doing a lot of time patching it. You know, I think it's just going to be as it, as it stands. Um, having getting, getting towards sort of like the end game part of it now, I'm, I'm certainly hoping they go on to do Hereticus and Malleus because um, I would like to sort of see the continuation of the story. I'm, there's other characters that appear in later books, like you know Ra- Gideon Ravenna, um, you know Patience Kiss, or these sort of like, characters I would like to actually yeah. see appear in in subsequent sort of gameplays. Of the, and then you know I'd be saying, okay, now now do the now do the Ravenna books as well. You know <laughs> now do Caiaphas Kane. You know <laughs> probably not going to happen quite that way, but yeah, certainly uh, uh, my my hopes are up because of because of this game and for ten bucks yeah. US. You know, if you get eight hours out of that, you know, I mean, think how much you spend on a movie to go watch a movie for for ninety minutes. Um, yeah, it is worth it's worth taking the plunge. Just be prepared for the fact that there's going to be some, you know, there's going to be a few reloads because it is a checkpoint based game as well, and there are some points in the game where if you, so, okay, the game never really forces you to stealth. You know, there, there are certainly points where you can you can stealth stealth way around, but it's never never a case where like. Um, old Xbox games where literally if you got caught okay re- reload the checkpoint and keep going you just end up in a fight and you, you use up some of your resources in the fight yeah. um, there are a couple of scenes where the, the, the classic one is where you, your character is trying to avoid psychic notice and basically the, the way that works is if a bad guy sees you the psyker sees you through their eyes and they charge towards you and the psyker basically makes them explode in order to try and hurt you so you're you do have to stealth, but you're not like it's game over if you get caught. You just lose some health, so that's not too bad. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's just there are some stressful points in the game where it's like oh, I've got to reload this bit again and again. Um, there's one scene where you're sort of making your way through poisonous gas, and you need to avoid touching crystals that explode because that ignites the gas. And this the, the controls of the game. A couple of times I've like turned a corner, like oh the crystal right there, and bang, I'm dead. And I've got to go back quite a way to the start of a whole sort of maze to do it, to do it again. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I'd certainly say it's worth worth a look if you're a 40k fan, if you're an Eisenhorn fan, and and the, the like the the visuals. Yeah, you know, it gives you great examples of what hive cities look like, of what imperial worlds look like. You know, of the yeah. of the church of the interiors, like just. It, I mean, the first, if you haven't read the books, the first scene in the first book is a world that is, um, like, most months of the year is completely frigid. And so the ruling elite put themselves into the status vaults until the summer months return as such. And there's, like, you know, the status vault with, like, 12,000, um, you know, sort of people in status. And it, but it's like, it's like a mausoleum. Like, they've actually used, like, tombs, uh, the status cells as such, rather than just, like, you know, tubes, that sort of stuff. They, they, they look like little sort of... So you're walking through this space of this giant multi-story, you know, um, mausoleum filled with uh, Imperial citizens in status and such, you know, with all these little sort of glyphs showing their sort of like their, their skeletal outline over the top and the health readouts, etc. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a good sample of the sort of grim, dark, um, styling, gothic styling of 40K. Yeah. Oh. And, and, the, and the voice acting is great. The, the narration by the main actor, you know, because it sort of, it, it uses what the book has where you're constantly listening to both the characters talk but also 
the character it's it's all being told as the character's recollection of these events so you know and it adds in their sort of their voiceover their, their internal monologue as such as well okay. so yeah I would give it I'm going to say probably six and a half out of ten that's probably a bit low for me but it's just that the the lack of pol- well but it's cheap the, the, yeah. the bugs yeah if this was like an $80 game release your typical sort of game release I'd be saying wow well, give this one a miss but for ten bucks you know do ten it. bucks is worth playing but be prepared for annoyance exactly right Okay. Alright, let's go. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. So, for our final discussion, uh, this is normally we try to keep rules to the early part of the show. Uh, the yep. we, we, we talk about Gen Con, but this one is going to be uh, a little bit of rules, a bit of, bit of house rules, a bit of just general discussion. Um, and that is, I want to talk about languages in 40k, you know, and, and the applications in these role playing systems because it's something you can just hand wave away or it's something you can actually have quite a bit of fun with. Yeah. Uh, so the two most common languages you're going to be familiar with are um, High Gothic and Low Gothic. So Low Gothic is, let's call it English for the sake of, uh, and it, remember it is the Queen's English too because 40, 40k came from a uh, from a UK based company. Um, and then High Gothic is, we say is basically tantamount to Latin or spa- yeah. Space Latin. You know, space Latin. Not unlike basically. Harry Potter Latin basically. Yeah. Um, but that's not it. You know, you've, you've then got, uh, even within the Imperium and looking at the characters you can build in the various systems, you've got things like traders can't. Um, you've got ship dialects. You've got hive dialects, tribal dialects, dialects etc. Uh, and this is where I guess the first problem started to appear in these systems when I first played, going back to Dark Heresy First Edition. Because if I speak a hive dialect, then it's reasonable within the scope of the fluff to say that that hive dialect is particular to that hive on that world yes um, now when you've got a hive dialect so, so a, a dialect is different it's distinct from a language okay so um, you know a dialect is me as an Australian saying g'day alright no other languages say it anyone else can understand that what I'm basically saying is hello or good day um, but it's a variation on, on that that is particular to my particular region so that being said it's not something you can't understand uh, it depends on the dialect. It is, yeah, and and, and it could also mean things that. Um, what's uh, so? So I had I had some foreign guests from overseas uh, at work last week, and there's something I say regularly that they didn't understand. It was uh, no dramas, you know, as opposed to don't worry, it's under control, you know, no dramas. And I had these um, I had a group of Germans, and they kept saying like, "What do you mean like by my no drama? Like, is that is that a?" So there you go. They didn't understand that particular arrangement. They were they were, they were English speaking. That they, they spoke English probably better than I do. Um, but they didn't understand it by no dramas. Um, yeah, I can give you a ton of other examples from work as well. Uh, but in any case, the situation there was that the dialect caused the problem. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So then I look at the fact that okay, well this is a skill selection in the scope of the game. You had to either you got it at character creation for want of a different skill. You know, or you chose to put experience points into buying it. What is the value of a thing like a like a, a ship dialect or a trader's cant or a or a hive dialect if it is so limited in scope to just this segment of this planet? You know, or if it doesn't really add things that can't be translated or understood. Well, I think you have to remember as well the scope. Okay, so I speak this hive dialect, which is only spoken on this one hive on this one planet. Yeah. That could be 40 billion people. Yeah. 
you know, we're, we're talking about ridiculous scopes and sizes here. Yeah. yeah, but if if that if that's a world you never go to in the scope of the campaign, well, then, that's up to the GM to yeah. put it in then or not. Yeah, it's up to them. But I, I think the GM should also have a say in here. If the person's going to spend XP on something, they should say, you know what, don't bother. We're never going to use that. Yeah, and this is where we get down to the house rule in this part of it because yeah. the way that I treat things like okay, let's let's use hive die. Hive die. That's a good example. If the characters are on a different hive and they are trying to understand the way the locals are communicating you know, because there's some there's some particular aspect of their dialect which is incomprehensible or just is not making complete sense to the characters first of all I would say that a low gothic rolling on low gothic with a penalty um, might allow you to interpret what they're actually trying to what they're trying to convey because it's, the, yeah. the dialect is derived from low gothic at the end of the day you know it's yes. um but then rolling on like your own hive dialect with a smaller penalty, only only a minus ten, because you're from a hive world, you have similar concepts. You know that they might be talking about reclamation vats with using some term that you don't know, but reclamation vats are consistent between hive worlds and such. Yeah. So, given the context of what they're talking about, you might be able to relate that back to something that, from your own world. So, therefore, I'd say you could roll hive dialect with a lesser penalty than just going for low gothic to interpret what they're actually talking about. Yeah. Um, or potentially no penalty in, um, you know, because normally you get the plus 10 bonus as a base with most rolls anyway. Uh, so that, that's one place to use. Things like, for example, Battlefleet Cant. Normally I would say that Battlefleet Cant, although yes, I'm sure that the, um, you know, the, the signs and signals are particular to each individual Battlefleet, I would allow it to go across to other Battlefleets as well. Yeah, Battlefleet's a little bit different though, because it is per Battlefleet, and they're, you know, the, the segment Obscura Battlefleet is huge. Yeah. And then going to the Sector Pacificus is different. It's a Battlefleet covers such a large area that it's unlikely you're going to be from a different Battlefleet. Yeah. Because, you know, generally speaking, characters don't travel across the entire width of the galaxy from place to place. They may, but it's unlikely. Um, so that's a little bit different that one yeah Um, okay so let's get back to the basics then Um, it's rare I've seen players be made to roll on any game system on their base language Mm -hmm. so once again let's let's go back to another percentage based system I play a lot of and that's Call of Cthulhu so in Call of Cthulhu your native language you get a score in that language equal to five times your education um, or in the more recent system where your education out of 100 is equal to your education. So for a ill-educated character, that could be an English skill of 40. So you know, if they're going to roll on the English skill, they're going to fail more often than they succeed. Does that, impl- does that implicate or indicate that an uneducated person fails to communicate regularly? You know, they, I, I think it would, rec- it would suggest that they fail to communicate effectively or... They use things the wrong way. Yeah. They might use words like irregardless. <laughs> whole nother. <laughs> um, what was the, the Facebook post I saw recently by a friend of mine was to say, I love the word chilly because it means both hot and cold at the same time. And we're like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Two different words spelled differently. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even if it does mean hot, you don't say, this food is very chilly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you might say spicy, but that's see, that, that's an example of someone failing. Yeah, we digress. Um, but th- this gets back to the point of all rolling and role-playing games, is yeah. that it's only worth rolling the dice when there is a potential 
um, uh, like occurrence, but through failure. Yeah. You know, so I don't make a person roll drive to get in their car and drive to work. You know, um, you don't get someone to roll their, their, their speak language skill to have a normal conversation. That's it. Yeah, I mean, this but is with, with your low educated Call of Cthulhu character. If they're pretending to be a reporter, and yeah. someone says, "Okay, you're a reporter, write something," yeah, I'd make them roll. Yeah, because it's a consequence of failure. They'll go, yeah. "You're not a reporter. You're a hack." You know, you couldn't you couldn't even spell news. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or reading old forbidden tombs, which are written in a in an archaic verse, or, or a strange way of reading it, or writing it, or yeah, yeah. Like that. And this goes back to like um, when I run historical, you know, like real world games as well. Is that I, I would let a player roll on their modern Greek to interpret ancient Greek with a penalty, probably, even though those languages are actually really quite dif- different, you know. Different, but yes. for the purpose of for the purposes of you know ease in a role playing game. Um, you know, it, it it brings it back. I mean, I remember it's, okay, a lot of Call of Cthulhu we're talking about this episode. Maybe we should do a Call of Cthulhu podcast next month. There's plenty of those. No, my, my my wife's first Call of Cthulhu character was a um, uh, was a, a like African explorer. Yeah, the 1890s game. That's right, and he and he, he had um, Swahili as a language, and because that never ever came up in the entire scope of the campaign, you know, because for some reason there were very few mythos tones written in Swahili. Yes. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, it can happen as well. Yeah. And, and, and look, I am not a person that complains about making a character with a throwaway skill if that skill matches what the character would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you can always find a way of using it as well. So, say two characters come from the same hive and they speak the hive dialect. Yeah. It's like uh, Cockney rhyming slang. The entire reason it was created was so that two people could have a conversation about illegal dealings and the police or listeners in wouldn't know what they were talking about. And you can use it the same way. You know, everyone in the party learns this particular hive dialect. They only have to worry about someone breaking the code if they've ever been to that hive before, which is unlikely. And this is where back in, when we ran um, the Rogue Trader game, because the the older editions of the game, so first edition Dark Heresy and Rogue Trader, you had the skill, you had the ciphers skill and then you had the speak language skill, and the speak language skill included yes. things like, and so what I yeah, used to speak languages, ciphers, and secret languages. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So the way I used to treat that was a cipher, as far as I used to run it, could be done non-verbally. Yes. Um, and that a the secret language skill allowed you to convey a message without making it clear that you were speaking in code. Yes. Um, so you know you could just talk about the weather, and and, you, and at the same time you've actually conveyed to them that there's three guys around the corner with with bolt guns waiting to ambush. Or ambushes. if you're using the cipher skill, you walk outside of your hat block wearing a red scarf, and everyone who sees you knows, don't come and talk to me. I'm being followed. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So the, the, you wanted. To, I wanted to come up with different ways that those skills could integrate them as well and, and be used separately. Yeah. Um, then there's also the thing about um, alien languages in 40k. So there is one skill for. Speak language Eldar, for example, but presumably Eldar have regional dialects, well, diff- different craft world dialects. You know, at, um, in Rogue Trader, the yeah. book there, they have speak Eldar, yeah. speak Dark Eldar. Yeah, okay. They're different languages. Yeah, and but, it but says, presumably different craft worlds will probably have their own dialects yeah. as well. So. But it does say that yeah. a character who speaks Eldar can speak Dark Eldar, yeah. just not very well. Yeah. It'd be like. 
you know, Americans trying to speak to anyone from any other country that speaks English. <laughs> you realise how high the base is American, don't you? Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's barely English. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so I mean, in, in this case, yeah, you would let them use, you would let them use, for example, um, the Eldar, uh, if they had the Eldar language, they could use that to interpret what Dark Eldar was saying. Yeah. Uh, and usually the way I'll, I'll treat language role, because if my character, for example, doesn't speak... Uh, okay, go back to historical games. So let's look at two languages that are quite closely connected. So, for example, Spanish and Latin. Okay, so I might let someone roll a Spanish role to interpret something written in Latin, but I'm not going to outright translate it for them. I'm going to say that, okay, with your successful role, you can tell the gist of what this is saying is the following. You know, this, 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 this box is cursed... Anyone that opens something really bad will happen. It's written, but you can't tell what it says. Yeah. 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 Um, it, well, that's it. You're not going to understand subtle nuances or satire or or irony or, or any really detailed or difficult concepts. Yeah. But knowing do not feed the dog, you know, it's going to be pretty easy. Straightforward. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Uh, yeah, so, so this has been what I've found successful in, in major languages in the game is come up with ways a languages extend to more than just what it describes. Yeah. For things like low gothic, it, yes, okay, it's valid to have a low gothic skill because you may want to roll it, for example, to interpret a poorly written tome. Or, you know... Um, to write your own poorly written tome. <laughs> that's right, yeah. To, uh, to, to distinguish voices on scratchy, scratchy Vox channel. Um, you know, to potentially even do things like read lips uh, yeah. with, a, with a difficult role as such. Um, you know, then you've got language. You've got languages that other people don't have. You can use to have a conversation that is, you know, unknown to the people that are actually there with you. Now, that's very rude in modern society to, you know, to turn to someone and start talking in a language other than what the other listener speaks when you know and they know you can both speak their language. Uh, but it's happened to me. You know, it's certainly happened to me. When oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's happened to most people. <laughs> that's it. Um, you know, and it's a effective way. In, in fact, the best one was when um, I was overseas last year and. Uh, they were talking about um, one of my various bosses and uh, two people were talking about him in front of me and, and one of them switched to another language in order to insult him and didn't realise I spoke that language. <laughs> so I got the whole <laughs> the whole thing. But uh, anyway, it's funny what people do they think you can't understand them. Yes. Which is another language topic, I guess. Um, but yeah, certainly like, like look for ways to include the languages. Um, or if you're just going to hand wave them, let people know so they don't invest a lot of time and energy into into upping those skills as well. Okay, so the side topic to this whole language discussion. Yep. You're in the middle of a game. Yep. Crash on a random planet. Yep. They speak a weird tribal dialect. Yep. And you're trying to communicate with them. Okay, so so when you when you have no appropriate skill, you mean? Yes. So, I mean this. You could go down to, you know, a base sort of... Tr- treat it as an untrained skill entirely, like, you know... Effectively... I, I'd say it's time to break out yeah. trade linguist. Yeah, <laughs> that's true, yeah. 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 Trade linguist, but, yeah. So there were some trade skills that do it. There's some scholastic skills that can do it. Yep. At least work out the basics of their language, maybe. Yep. Use little cards with pictures on them to, to get the first the most basic words, and then you can go from there. Yep. But... Would you make people spend XP to be able to communicate over time? Um, no, I, I'd say that once again, if, if that it's only got the application of dealing with this particular group, 
I would say that the time invested by the characters both A, educates their characters in the, in the nuances of that culture and B, educates the people they're dealing with in being able to communicate enough in you know, low gothic to be able to, to, to deal with whatever they need to deal with as such. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever played, have you ever heard of the game Og, by the way? No. Uh, so Og is a bit of a fun game you can get from gaming stores where pretty much you're all playing cavemen yeah. and that you're all allowed to pick um, I think I think every player gets to pick three or five words, uh, and the only way that the players can communicate is with the words they speak, um, with grunts, or with stick figure pictures, and they've got to basically like like role play what their cavemen are doing and um, <laughs> how they how they survive through their day yeah. <laughs> with three to five words, pictures, and grunts, and they can point. You can point too. So. Yeah. Point. <laughs> Make hand motions. <laughs> yeah, it's, whatever. Yeah, it's 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 like the role playing version of Pictionary. Yeah, okay. <laughs> or charades. Caveman role playing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's just quite fun. just for a fun challenge. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's a sort of game you play at a con. I, I yeah. would not recommend a campaign of Og. <laughs> <laughs> an Og campaign. <laughs> okay. You can do it every single um, every single session. You can bring in an extra word. So oh, to the group. <laughs> spend XP on learning conjugative verbs. That's it, yes. Uh, all right, well, that's probably enough on languages. Okay. So let's um, move on to closing out the show, shall we? Yes. All astropaths to the choir chamber. Message incoming. All right, so there are no new reviews uh, since I last checked, which was just recently. So uh, if you do enjoy the show, please take a moment to review us on iTunes at, uh, or tell your friends about us. We always appreciate getting more listeners. I think we've hit critical mass now because the, the number of downloads we get is pretty consistent each month and our Facebook page is hovering around the same sort of amount, you know. So uh, yeah. and I, I, and my new Twitter followers appear once every, I don't know, couple of months now. So I, I, I think we have attained what we're going to attain with this show. But that's good. You know, we have... Uh, the way I track it, it's about... Uh, we have 2,500 followers on Facebook and about I think about 11,000 episode downloads per episode that goes up so oh, that's not too bad that's not too bad you know I've, thank you very much yeah, that's it um, but we did get questions in this particular fortnight as well yes um, two questions so the first one I'm going to refer to uh, came from Cam via Facebook and uh, he was talking about the fact that in the game that he's been playing or running in uh, the group was not keen to split the party uh, and that sort of meant that there was less in, like individual character development as they focus on the group as a whole. So his question was, any sort of thoughts from us about the pros, cons, differences between running a game which is about a just playing as a team versus playing as a group of individuals? Okay, depends on which game you're doing. Rogue Trader, if you're all playing as individuals, it's going to be a very crap game. <laughs> Black Crusade, if you're all playing as a team... It's going to be a very crap game. Yeah, I mean, you're going into the 40k lines. Okay, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, so I mean, yeah, I'm only talking about 40k lines. There needs to be a balance between the two in all of them, but some can go more towards one extreme than the other. Yeah. So, I mean, Death Watch, for example, is very much team oriented. Very much team oriented. Even though much. the Marines bring their own backstory to the Death Watch, while they are in that, you know, in that service, that Watch Fortress, they are devoted to the kill team that they work with and. You know, they're all battle Yeah. Now, okay. Well, this brings back to the main point. So, it is not impossible to have both combined. Okay, yeah. and that is where you still bring in individual character plot lines, 
but you allow the group as a whole to solve those solve those plot lines. Yeah. So, you know, in the case of the Death Watch game, yes, an individual marine comes across hints that an enemy that once bested you know them in combat previously or whatever the case may be is now operating in the Jericho Reach, and so they turn to their brothers and ask the ask their kill team to support them in bringing this menace down as such. And so now a personal objective becomes a group objective. Yeah. Um, likewise, going back to, you know, to Rogue Trader, you know, your, um, your Seneschal discovers that a ship they previously served on that was lost in the warp has reappeared um, and that they want to go and find out, did, you know, did the former crew and the captain survive? And so they convince the rest of the group to go with them. It's still their individual storyline. It still relates back to their backstory, but it allows the whole group to, to get involved. Um, yeah, now I found, for example, I've spoken about my Scion game many times. I specifically wanted there to be games that were so specific to individual characters, you know, because they had to have their own sort of heroic storyline, that I literally ran sessions where it was like, okay, you're playing your character, and everybody else at the table is playing NPCs in your character's Story. grand adventure as such. Yeah. Um, and that worked well with that group. It wouldn't work well with some groups. Yeah, some people are like, oh, I just want to play my character. Why, do I, why am I doing this? You know? Yeah, usually it'll work well as long as everyone gets their chances. Yeah, and that's that's the important thing is to make sure that it's balanced, you know, and everyone gets there. And we spoke about this last episode. We talked about making the story about your characters, not just about you know the plot as such. You need to make sure that everybody gets their their, their, their time, chance to shine, their time limelight. But you know, but there are some groups out there who don't want that. There are groups who just want to say, what is the group objective? Let's follow the group objective. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for them, I'd be saying if you're playing 40k, then look at games like Death Watch, Only War, uh, Road Trader. These are the ones where you're going to really benefit from just saying this. You know, we are, you know, we are Legion for we are many, and we are going to go and do this this one thing. This is our this is our objective. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's more about I guess a general role playing thing than this is thing particularly to these particular game settings. But yeah, look, I've always run games that are character focused, or I've always tried to anyway. You know, I don't say I always get it right. But that's always been my style is to run character-focused games. You know, I've rarely had groups where it's just like, you know, we all just want to be, you know, one amorphous entity of, you know, a, a, a gestalt um, gaming <laughs> gaming group you didn't of such. You ran like full <laughs> D&D, did you? Uh, I, I ran... Oh, no, sorry, let me rephrase that. I ran a lot of the sort of weekend-only uh, D&D, not missions, what do you call them? Um, the living, living Dungeons & Dragons campaigns and such. Because uh, and, and there, you usually had five players who didn't usually play with each other who just turned up to a gaming day and there were five individuals or maybe a couple of people and yeah. it was always interesting there especially when we're playing games like um, Legacy of the White Star where you know you'd had different people had played the same module and had it resolved differently so you couldn't sit there and talk about oh I remember that time we did this because different players had done it and had different recollections of different events of how it turned out exactly right yeah. so there's some thoughts I don't know if it really helped Cameron there um Probably not, no, probably not. No, probably not. Tough luck. <laughs> Figure it out yourself. He'll get over it. Um, okay, and then we also got an email question from Joseph. Yeah. Uh, so his question is mainly about um, scaling opponents in these games because okay. he's been running Dark Heresy um, for a few sessions now. He's a 40k fan. You know, he is familiar with the wider 40k fluff in terms of you know, the war game. And he's been keen to bring in you know, the war game elements as such, Chaos Space Marines, Orcs, you know, that sort of stuff. And for a Dark Heresy group, three or four sessions in, is that the right scaling? He's asked that, that question, basically. Um, so... Chaos Marine? No. <laughs> okay, 
it's funny. Un- not unless you've got something to really even the score. Yeah, no, it's funny you say that because my the very first session of, of Dark Heresy I ran. So I got Dark Heresy. I decided to run it at a convention, yeah. and this is this is literally the only books around at that point in time were uh, the main book and the GM screen and the character folio. No Inquisitor's Handbook. Um, certainly n- not the first adventure book, which included the stats for Marine. Um, I decided that I'm taking this to a convention to run it. It needs to be classic 40k. It needs to have something that just yeah. re- re- instantly screams out 40k. So my opponent in the game was a Chaos Space Marine. At the, at the, end, of, at the end of the scenario, the group discovered the big bad was a Chaos Space Marine. But the important thing I did was I made sure that the only way to beat the Marine when they encountered it in the game was not through the judicious application of sword and sword and gun. You know, they, they had to actually... Um, you know, they, they, yes, there was a, yes, there was a melee, but they were never going to win by just trying to hit it more than it hit them. You know, other things had to happen in the game to actually weaken it. Um, as, as it stood, actually, the, the character was already started weakened as such. So it was a, a Thousand Sun Sorcerer who had previously been cut into at the waist and was using warp energy to hold their body together um, so there was a, a certain degree of weakness there um, <laughs> well, the fact that you bisected yes <laughs> um, but yeah in the, the day most most crews most of the groups worked out that they needed to manoeuvre well I, I don't try to have one way of doing it but pretty much the way most groups took it out was by manoeuvring it somewhere where they could have one of the one of the teams shoot it with a gun cutter's heavy bolters to take it out so yeah <laughs> But the important thing there was that it was it was a good way to bring in that classic 40k element while still keeping it not just a, you know, in your next combat you're up against 1d5 Chaos Space Marines because you've already managed to kill one or two, so therefore they're now a bulk opponent as such. Yeah. You know, um, I would suggest to anyone running these games, especially Dark Heresy, that your most regular opponents are going to be human, hum- cultists. human cultists, you know, gangers... Um, you know, it's, it's a low power. It's a low power game. That doesn't mean you can't bring in, you know, key elements like Elar um, or Chaos Spaceries or Orcs. But at least initially, they need to be something that is only surmountable through, you know, cunning, cunning through through role play, through you know, discovery. You know, it's it's not just like here's a Chaos Space Marine charge, roll initiative, and one of us will drop first. Because I can tell you, if it, if, it, if you're doing it properly, it won't be the Chaos Space Marine. Yeah. <laughs> even even with even with mass numbers, go and play Eisenhorn Xenos, and and see you know Eisenhorn's tactics when he first encounters Mandragora. You know, so or Mandragora, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, it's not that they're not an opponent that a human fights um, under normal circumstances, unless there's some edge that they can actually go and. Well. They do fight them. Like, yeah. <laughs> not on the fact that a human normally fights and wins. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's what my, my advice for scaling is that, that you know keep ramp up. Eventually, you'll get to the point where the group is powerful enough that okay, now this is going to be a stand up fight with a chaos space marine or with it with an Eldar or with an orc, whatever the case may well, be. Well, that's it. You can always have the option of having the very first chaos space marine they meet. They drive off, scare away run away from avoid whatever yeah. and then later on they can fight against that same one and when they're much tougher yeah. and they can have a stand up fight with it and then they can think about how it, how one sided it would have been <laughs> if they'd done it earlier if they'd done it well earlier. look at look at the first time we fought a bloodthirster in our dark heresy campaign was that I, I was I was confident the group was finally ready 
to take on a bloodthirster, but then most of the group weren't, so when it attacked, they all ran away except for you, and you got killed. Yes. Because you're the only person that stayed to fight. <laughs> stay to fight. I was hiding in a building sniping at him. It wasn't my fault. He was as tall enough to attack me on the third floor balcony. So, anyway, yeah, that would be my advice. Yeah. Is is um, definitely ramp it up, but don't feel free to bring those things in. Just make sure that it's not just a, a hack fest. Yeah. All right. So if like. Cameron or Joseph, you want to contact us, you may do so through many formats. One is our website, which is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. Uh, we tweet through at grimdartpodcast, and we've got a few people now who've got a nice little back and forth dialogue going with our, on our Twitter account as well. Actually, it's quite good. I, I challenged um, Tim Cox, who's one of the, uh, one of the FFG. Um, like contract writers who he worked on uh, Dark Coast Edition uh, he's also been working on the uh, End of the World line I challenged him at Gen Con to see how many PK to- sorry, uh, total party kills he could get at-, at Gen Con while running End of the World yeah. so disappointing results i got to say yeah, there weren't enough TPKs oh. <laughs> I'm sure Tim was trying his hardest though yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, alright our email is show at com. Uh, and also, don't forget uh, Drive Through RPG. Uh, I'll, I'll feel down, but please do support Drive Through RPG. All the 40k books are available on there as well, so you can get your PDFs there too. Okay. Uh, episode 72 will be another Rogue Trader episode. Hopefully, by then we've played another game of Rogue Trader as well, so it gives us some more meat to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking about endeavors in the objective point system. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Sword Class Frigate, and we're going to be reviewing Shedding Light. Yes. So, we look forward to catching you then. Hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah, stay true I'm sure there's uh, more 40k stuff on the horizon and we'll, we'll be covering it um, if you've got suggestions for us please drop them onto our, one of our social media pages or send us an email uh, otherwise we look forward to catching you next time Mike thank you for being involved thank you very much James thank and you for listening thank you for listening this podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games Warhammer 40,000 Dark Heresy Rogue Trader Death Watch Black Crusade Only War Eternal Crusade and all associated properties are trademarked and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Musicali. Music.mibio.com.